You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Bills went into Gillette Stadium and beat the Patriots 24-10 with relative ease. And now it's time for my Buffalo Blues. Hello, Bills Mafia. I am your host, Nick Scheist, and I am here celebrating a happy Victory Friday It's always a sweeter victory when that win comes over the Patriots. And, you know, this game was uh, one-sided. Let's just call it what it is. I know that the final score was 24-10, and, you know, it doesn't look like it was that uh, dominant of a game by the Bills, but it really was. Uh, I had to catch the second half of this game, like, close to midnight, um, Pacific time, because we had some tickets to a a show that was closing uh, in LA, and it was the last night that we could see it, so we went and saw that, I recorded the second half, but at the end of the first half, I think the last thing I said on social media before I walked away from the game was the Patriots had one big play to Marcus Jones, and they gave up a... 17-yard run on a third and 18 to Ramondre Stevenson. They still ended up punting there, and they had good starting field position uh, thanks to a sack fumble that they recovered around midfield, and then they missed a field goal. So going into the half, you know, I pointed out that the Patriots had done basically three things in the entire half, and... The Bills were up 17-7 to at that point, and I was perfectly happy. I didn't see the game as being competitive or being close at that point, despite the scoreboard. It could have been worse. I mean, figure you give the Patriots the Nick Folk field goal there at the end of the half that was a 48-yarder that he was short on, and give him 10 points. But the Bills had a touchdown to Diggs, called back on a holding penalty, so could have been 24-10. And then there was a drive that there was a false start and a hold, I think, that took the Bills out of field goal range. So you look at that, it could have easily been 27-10 to at halftime. So I, I wasn't worried. Um, it wasn't a game that I was stressing. I know there's a lot of fans out there that are constantly stressing and nervous about every game and I was a little worried about this game beforehand because when I was looking at the injury reports and doing the preview for the Thursday night game as I always do you know Greg Rousseau was listed as out Mitch Morris was listed as out Uh, Edmonds was listed as out AJ Epinesa was listed as out and so really only um, Deion Dawkins and Von Miller were the two guys who were like really on the injury report and missed the game. But 
in previewing the game, I'm like, okay, well, if the Bills don't have these six starters, then this could end up being uh, problematic, could be a closer game that I'm comfortable with it being. And then, you know, after I had done the preview and placed my, uh, my picks for the game, I saw the active roster come out uh, maybe like an hour before game time. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, now I'm not worried. Even when I was doing the preview, I said I'm perfectly comfortable thinking that the Bills can win this game even without uh, all those starters. But it's going to be a little dicier if they don't have some of those guys. And I think on the defensive side, getting Greg Rousseau and AJ Epinesa back was big. Um, and they're going to have to play big minutes with Von Miller out. But looking at the offensive side of things, it was uh, Quisenberry who struggled in this game. And it looked like he was hurt early on. And the Bills were short at left tackle anyway. So they really didn't have much choice other than to throw him out there. But um, he was struggling early. And I think that's part of the reason the Bills only came away with a field goal. On that opening drive, uh, the defense came out, forced a quick three and out, which was nice. Uh, the Bills went down the field, and they ended up kicking a field goal. There was a false start on that drive as well. Uh, Allen got sacked as well. So the offensive line is going to have some issues with Deion Dawkins out, as we saw. Uh, but getting Mitch Morse back was big because it moved Bates back to his preferred spot. You had Spencer Brown at his preferred spot. It was really just uh, David Quisenberry who was struggling with Josh Uche's speed rush and you know being hampered along that side. It's the blind side for the quarterback so it, it definitely led to some problems. It led to the fumble at the end of the half that could have been huge if the Patriots offense could have done anything with it. But I will come back to that in a minute. After the Bills kicked that opening field goal uh, was when the Patriots found their little glitch play to Marcus Jones. And uh, to his credit, like he took that 50 yards, no, 48 yards for the touchdown. And this is a guy that's going to be a factor in the Patriots offense moving forward super fast made the most out of this play and ultimately like he made a great play but DeMar Hamlin also came in to the hole on this play for some reason little screenplay out to the left you have one receiver out on the edge blocking the corner and I don't know why Hamlin ran directly into the Patriots receiver who was there to block um, he didn't come and square up in the hole and Jones made a quick move inside and then took the edge and he was too fast for Poyer to catch up. I'm just not sure uh, in terms of, you know, what Hamlin was ultimately hoping was going to happen there. He's played really well for the most part in replacing Micah Hyde. He did have a tough game early against the Chiefs where he had some issues tackling, he had some issues with pursuit angles. And, you know, these guys are young. It's not Micah Hyde who's been in the league forever who kind of understands, like, where he wants to force a play to go. And so Hamlin made the wrong decision. He gave a really fast player that the Bills have not seen in the Patriots' offense before uh, just a little bit of space, and he took advantage of it. So credit to Jones for 
making uh, something out of a play that could have been blown up. But he's Hamlin's responsibility there. And for the most part, Hamlin played well throughout the rest of the game. He's played well throughout the season. So I don't want to, like, you know, harp on it too much. Just this is a really fast player that you've never seen before. And maybe you underestimated that speed. And it came back and burned him a little bit. And the Patriots go up 7-3. But real, realistically, the Patriots weren't doing anything in this game. Um, and they got that play. All right. So they're up. There's momentum yada yada bills go down the field nine plays 82 yards and of course it's Diggs from allen eight yards touchdown uh and the bills ran the ball on this drive pretty effectively too and it was a james cook kind of a day had a good one uh he took some licks in there we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit but played well uh and i don't know if it was Diggs' first catch but it might have been and he put a nice little route on, I think it was uh, James Jones. No, excuse me. Jonathan Jones. Ate him up, got wide open. Allen finds him for the easy touchdown. Bills are back up. And then that's uh, pretty much it. I mean, obviously there was some more scoring and everything, but in terms of the game flow... That was kind of just it right there. Once the Bills took the lead and responded to the kind of the fluky touchdown, they force another Patriots three and out, and then they get the ball back, and they go down the field, 14 plays, 56 yards, get Cook involved again, McKenzie involved in this drive. Hines had a, you know, he, they tried to get him involved a little bit here and there. And then on the second and goal at the New England eight, they go to the same play that uh, they used for Diggs to get the touchdown. And Diggs is a little, well, not a little bit. He's a lot better of a route runner than Davis. But they tried to hit that same look, the inside, outside leverage look. <clears throat> and Davis did get open. And it wasn't as smooth of a route as Diggs had run. But Davis was open, and Allen fired the ball to the boundary, and it was just a little bit out of reach. And it hit Davis in the hands, but, you know, it wasn't a great throw. And I get that Davis has had some issues with drops this year, and, you know, it's fun, I guess, on social media to climb on him and say that he can't catch anything or he's got stone hands, etc. But this was not a great throw to Davis on this play and it's it wasn't a catch that was going to be easy to make regardless like it's a play that maybe Diggs doesn't even make because of where the throw is but nonetheless he's going to get uh, harped on for that and I think it was on this drive as well it might have been the drive before where Davis had a a nice little kind of like stop and go move up and to the sideline and Allen threw it deep but uh, it was incomplete and it was out of bounds like that wasn't a play where he was going to catch the ball either so uh, a little weird to think that you know that's on Davis but that being said he did have seven targets and only one catch I think in the first half so it's a little bit of both um, there was also a ball that Josh like kind of threw into the ground that Davis wasn't able to get his hands on. So if you're looking at that, that's like three targets where really none of those are going to be catches. So 
you know, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both worlds, but at the end of the day, they go back to Davis on the next play on the, one of the craziest scramble plays you'll ever see. Uh, very similar to the uh, Dawson Knox touchdown, which I think was against the Patriots as well uh, last season, where Josh is scrambling. He gets right up to the uh, the boundary line on the right side, and right before he's about to go out of bounds, he tosses it back across his body and finds Davis for the touchdown there. And it was interesting because this is uh, a play that worked for the Bills a lot last season. This like scramble right, find something play. And this season, teams have been able to force Allen into mistakes here. And in this case, they they stunt inside, and I think it was Uche who stunts inside to force Allen to the right. And in previewing the game, I'm like, if I'm the Patriots, I want to force this play to happen because he threw picks against Green Bay, the Jets, and Minnesota. And, uh, I mean, he did throw a pick in the Detroit game as well, but a little bit different there. But uh, three games in a row, he's rolling right, throwing back across his body, and he gets picked. So if I'm New England, I want that to happen. So in that situation, in the red zone where the Bills have struggled... They stunt to force him out to the right. He rolls right. He's getting pursued, and this guy's on his heels big time. And he comes right up to the boundary on the right sideline and throws back across his body. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, boy, what's about to happen here? And he's fortunate that he finds Davis for the touchdown. And a flag came out, too. There's a defensive holding. So I'm not sure if Josh saw the flag and then was like, all right, I'll take the chance. Or... I think it was Jonathan Jones again who was in coverage on Davis who kind of gave up on the play once it looked like Josh was going to step out of bounds. And then the two other, uh, the safety and the corner who were there uh, just in their zones, they had their momentum going towards the right sideline as they're tracking Josh across the field. So as the ball goes back left, Davis is the only one who's put his foot in the ground and already turned. So he's the only one that's really going to have a play at the ball. And, you know touchdown so now it's 17 7 uh bills force a three and out again they get the ball then they quickly go three and out give the ball back to the patriots who bills force a three and out again and that's when the bills get the ball back and we come full circle to the uh, offensive line issues that they're going to be dealing with with Deion dawkins out but ultimately the bills had four of their five offensive line starters in the game and they only gave up two sacks and I think they were both in the first half not 100% sure I know one was for sure in the second half because it was the fumble and there was no sack yardage in the game though so end of the day not a big deal uh could be better it's something to keep an eye on for sure if Dawkins injury is going to be problematic long term but I liked what I saw from uh, Dorsey adjusting to that after the first quarter. This is a game where the Bills wanted to get the ball out of Josh's hands quickly and to not put him in danger there. And I think at the end of the first half, they were looking like, hey, we want to try and score again here. So they really weren't interested in uh, running the ball too much there on that one particular possession. And that was first and 10 at their own 43 
and you know they pass over the middle they pass again then incomplete pass then they had the holding play that negated the touchdown to Diggs, and so they're inside the two-minute warning uh at the half uh, before the half i should say and they're trying to score they're trying to make the game 24 7 so i get it like but they're at midfield they could run the ball easily get into field goal range or give themselves a better chance at uh, a touchdown there but they're going for the jugular so in a game where they're up 10 it wasn't really the end of the world and look what happens allen gets sacked he fumbles um and New England gets the ball back, and they go from their own 42 to the Bills' 30, so, what, 28 yards on their drive, and Folk misses the kick on a 4th and 6, 48-yarder. So, I understand the philosophy there at the end of that first half. Uh, they wanted to definitely go for the home run. And so now what I'm looking at as a Bills fan and as someone who is, you know, wanted to see their end game improve, I'm looking at how they're going to treat playing with the lead in the second half. I've said it week in and week out over the last couple years. you got to run the ball and understand that the clock is your friend, especially when you have the lead in the second half. So one thing that I'm looking at is uh, how often the Bills run on first down with the lead in the second half and if I'm not mistaken last week against Detroit it was uh pretty evenly split I think it was like 11 to 10 and that game ended up being close and so in this game Bills get the ball to start the second half and the first thing they do they come out and run I like that just because it starts the clock and it tells New England the clock on you getting back in this game is ticking we're playing our football we're gonna do what we want to do and it's on you to have to catch up rather than let's come out here and not treat the lead with respect and give our opponent an opportunity to get back in the game so that first drive they come out go seven plays 33 yards they end up punting and on first and 10 to start the drive, they run the ball. And they get four, then McKenzie picks up a first down. Then on first and 10 at the 42, Allen to McKenzie for 17 yards. They have another first down, Allen to Singletary incomplete. So clock stops at 13.06. Right there, that's a situation where I would like them to run the ball and they didn't. And uh, Cook ends up picking up a seven-yard run on second and down, but it's called back on another Gabe Davis penalty. Um, I think he had uh, two illegal blocks in the back in this game, if I'm not mistaken. May have been last week, but he gets another one here regardless, Uh, and that basically stalls the drive out, takes the Bills out of field goal range. So even though Allen scrambles to the New England 42, he goes incomplete deep to digs on third and 11. And rather than try a 59-60 yard field goal, uh, they punt the ball away. And so they're still up 10. Defense is playing well. They're clearly not afraid of the New England offense. And I guess while I'm at it, I'll talk about uh, something that I saw talked about a lot uh, in the aftermath of this game was the absence of Kair Elam, who was technically a healthy scratch in this game, and Xavier Rhodes played. So people were asking why 
is Kair Elam not playing? And he was coming off an ankle injury coming back into the Detroit game. He didn't play a lot in the Detroit game. He only played 21 snaps, which was uh, 30% snap share, so less than one out of every three plays. And heading into this game, with the way the third down defense had performed over the last couple of weeks, it looked like getting Elam back in the mix was going to be a big part of the equation. So it was a surprise to see him listed as a healthy scratch, but they brought a lot of guys back. Uh, I think you only get a 48-man active roster on game day. John Brown was in the lineup. So I, there's some reasons for it, but you know, I saw people saying it was a stupid decision to leave him out and such a bad coaching decision. It's like the Bills completely dominated this game. They did not need Kyer Elam for this particular matchup. And so it's not a bad coaching decision. It's not a stupid decision. It's not a mistake. None of that. Bills played fine on defense, didn't need Elam. Uh, and it was an opportunity to get <clears throat> a guy like White, who's coming back off of a massive injury last season, more playing time, and he had a lot more snaps in this game. And it was an opportunity to get a guy like Xavier Rhodes a lot more snaps uh, in a system that he is new to. So I'm not upset with the decision to sit Elon. It's probably not maybe great for his ego, but Dane Jackson needed to get out there and play better as well. So you got a guy like Elam who's played well in his rookie season. Uh, he's played very well, and I'm sure the Bills are happy to have him, and he's going to come uh, be a big part of some other games this season. But in this game, it wasn't a necessity. And part of that conversation was that Dane uh, has struggled and that Elam has been this lockdown corner. And the idea that he played so great against Detroit that it was a stupid decision to not have him in this game. And I already said, not a stupid decision, but the idea that he played great against Detroit is also a little bit misleading. Um, he did play well. He did only play 30% uh, of the snaps, though, so maybe he aggravated his ankle injury. Maybe his ankle is not at 100%. Could be a lot of things. But in that 30%, that's 21 snaps that he played. Of those 21 snaps, 13 of those were coverage snaps. Of the 13 coverage snaps, they threw at him once, which was incomplete, and it wasn't a pass that he defended. And if you look at the box score, he didn't have a tackle either. So his name is not in the box score. He had no passes defended, no tackles, no nothing. And he had one ball thrown his way that was incomplete. So to act like that's a lockdown kind of performance, like if he had 13 coverage snaps and they threw at him 10 times and he had a pass defended or there was 10 incompletions headed his direction, then maybe, but you know, he realistically, he played pass defense 13 times and was thrown at once. So it's a little bit of, hey, they don't want to throw at him. It's also a lot of Dane Jackson was the much more vulnerable player in that game. So you might as well throw at Dane Jackson. Um, so this idea that like he played this ridiculous lockdown great game against Detroit is just not true from what I saw. Like he played well. I'm not upset with it. I'm not like over the moon about it either. But when you throw one ball in a guy's direction and it's incomplete without him defending it, what are you going to say there? You're going to say that that was a fantastic game? I don't think so. I'm not upset with the way he played, of course. I want Elam on the field. He's a big body. He's fast. He's aggressive. Uh, he's had his moments where he's been beat, but overall, 
I'm happy with him. He's going to factor into the rest of the season. Like, I don't think anybody has to worry about Xavier Rhodes end up, like, taking his spot. I think by the end of the season, you could realistically be looking at Elam and White as the two starting corners with Dane playing backup across all three positions and then Rhodes coming in uh, to play maybe backup uh, or play in some relief in zone-heavy situations. But anyway, moving on. So yes, the Bills did end up punting that first drive of the second half, and then they give the ball to the Patriots. They come out, Patriots only managed 36 yards on seven plays, and I want to... I want to say that in watching the game, it felt like Ramondre Stevenson was having a really good game. Um, He was clearly the best player on the field for the Patriots, but also in looking at the game, I couldn't really see anything other than him. Uh, You know, Nelson Aguilar played all right. Mac Jones did not play well, so that's not something to be concerned with and I think the Bills knew that so what I wanted to see the Bills do was sell out to stop the run and make Mac Jones have to win the game and that's what they did and part of that was making sure that the run game never really got started for New England and even in the moments where Stevenson had like his 17 yard run on third down and he had uh, six catches for 24 yards. So like he was heavily involved uh, between his six catches and his 10 carries, but he only had 10 carries and he only ran the ball for 54 yards. So in watching it being like, oh man, he's playing well, he's having a good game. And then looking at the stat sheet and seeing like even what I thought was him having a good game, the Bills still completely controlled New England's run game aside from one play. And they also completely controlled the passing game aside from one play. You know, they had 195 passing yards as a team, and 50 of that was on the one screenplay. So realistically, the Bills dominated this game from a defensive standpoint, which is why I want to go back and say they didn't need Kair Elam to be active for this game. It was not necessarily a throwaway game, but I think it's a game that the Bills were super confident in, and they wanted to get some other guys some much needed I don't want to be rude but practice you know they needed uh (laughs) Trey White out there getting those valuable minutes in they needed Xavier Rhodes out there getting those minutes in I think they're comfortable that uh Elam is going to be fine going down the going down the road here towards the playoffs so I'm cool with it and the Bills get the punt get the ball back they come out on first and ten they run again uh and to my point about them running the ball to close out games here they last week had 21 first down plays in the second half against detroit and ran on 11 of them as i said and here with uh the lead in the second half they ran the ball seven times and threw it three times so they understood that the running game was going to be a valuable part of this approach and I think they also began to realize that with the way that the uh, offensive line protections were breaking down early in the game so this is a game where James Cook had a really good game had 14 carries for 64 yards like not mind-blowing numbers at all Singletary had 13 for 51 yards and he ends up getting the touchdown on 
disc drive that goes 15 plays, 94 yards. They go from their own six-yard line all the way down. And uh, Allen has a crazy scramble play here on second and goal and where he leaps over a guy and, like, you see him hanging in the air. And it's like, oh, my God, don't get hurt here. Don't take an unnecessary shot to the head because, I mean, if you're a defender and you see this guy doing that to you, you kind of want to take that shot at him. But didn't happen. They get to third and goal at the one. And this is a situation where on third and short, the Bills have had issues all season long. And to see them have the confidence to line up and hand the ball off to Singletary and get a touchdown in that position was huge. I mean, Singletary's been playing well the last couple weeks anyway. I'm glad they are giving him the opportunity to convert some of those short yarded situations. And I really like the look they put out there to compromise the Patriots defense. They knew they were running the ball well. They knew we're going to give you guys a funky look here to make you have to respect what we want to do. And they convert it nicely. And their drive had taken up the whole remaining part of the third quarter at that point, which is why you run the ball. Because now they're up 24-7 uh, at that point, and they've eaten into the beginning of the fourth quarter. So it's a three-score game, and New England's basically dead in the water at that point so they go four plays 18 yards punt and then the bills get the ball back and they run on first down which i'm happy to see uh they ran on second down uh they convert on the third and one on a pass to Diggs, which was a nice look too they line up in this heavy set uh, i think it's two tight ends to the right one running back and it's a quick look where if you get the off coverage, you're going to throw the slant there, which he did, and he picks up 10 yards on it. It's a play I use a lot in Madden, and it's really effective. Um, but I'm glad to see that they compromised the New England defense. It was third and one. They already showed the Patriots that on third and short, we can run the ball on you. So they show them a, a run-heavy formation, and then they throw a quick slant. So that's a situation where... I'm not upset with them throwing the ball on a third and short situation. It's a great read. It's a great understanding of what the defense is trying to do to you. And then they go right back to Singletary on first and 10 for nine yards on the next play. Then they go Singletary again. He loses yards. Whatever. On this third and three, though, uh, it was a little weird because this is a play where, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it might have been another situation. But as I'm looking through the play sheet here, this is the only third and three, so maybe I misread the down and distance, but there's a third and three where the Bills need to convert, and I'm pretty sure Dawson Knox is wide open, like, at the sticks. And Allen sees him, and he, like, looks it off, and then he goes back, and he forces a ball to Diggs. They don't end up getting it. They end up punting there, and they do punt on this drive. So I may be mistaking where exactly the course of things happened, but nonetheless, they punt. Uh, there's eight minutes left in the game, so the game's really over. It's 24-7. to seven. The Bills are playing off coverage, basically just chilling on defense, not really trying to stop the Patriots that much, and they're still getting a really good pass rush. Epinesa had a really good game. Uh, Rousseau had a really good game. Daquan Jones had a good game, aside from a holding penalty. Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, like the whole interior defensive line, Tim Settle had a good game. They really roughed up the Patriots' offensive line pretty bad, and they did that without Vaughn Miller out there, which was a really welcome sign for a lot of people I know were worried about Miller's injury, and of course, not having him out there is, of course, a massive blow to the Bills' pass rush, and I think when he got hurt, like, the knee-jerk reaction was like, oh man, like, can the Bills, like, still win a Super Bowl without him? 
I think the answer is yes, and I also think he'll be back, but they they showed that they can still get pressure on the quarterback really effectively without Von Miller. Uh, he is their sack leader, but they were okay. Like, they had Mac Jones running all over the place, and I think they maybe missed that ability to, like, explode and bring him down in close quarter situations that Von Miller brings, but... You know, the overall pressure was super effective. They had Mac scared and throwing the ball away, and everything was hunky-dory on my end, to be honest. So I do want uh, Von Miller back, obviously, but uh, they got a really good game out of the D-line, so no problem there. Um, on this drive, they get into uh, Bill's territory at the, like, 15 and Mac Jones uh, threads the ball to, I want to say it was uh, Jacoby Myers, it was. And DeMar Hamlin lights him up in the end zone. And, you know, by the letter of the law, it is a hit to the head of a defenseless receiver. Um, and I think, as I read the rule book. It doesn't even have to be to the head and neck area. It's just any, like, forceful contact to a uh, defenseless receiver. So, really, DeMar Hamlin uh, didn't do anything particularly wrong other than he's lowering his shoulder and then uh, Jacoby Myers also, he's bracing for impact as he can see the safety coming. So their heads just both kind of go low. He levels Jacoby Myers and the ball's knocked out. So I understand the penalty. I'm not sure about this ejection that comes with it because um, it is a personal foul and I don't know I didn't even know that this rule was in uh, this season that if you have a targeting penalty against you you're ejected from the game so fortunately for the Bills it happened really late in the game and it wasn't the end of the world uh, Mac Jones actually gets sacked a couple plays later and really takes them into long uh, field goal range and Nick Folk hits this one it wasn't super long but it knocked them out of uh, the red zone Nick Folk hits it it's 24-10 the Bills get the ball back uh, New, <laughs> New England tries to onside kick this it's recovered by Davis and the Bills come out and take a knee with about minute 50 left and the Patriots don't call timeout like the Bills are telling them we know you're beat you know you're beat we're going to take a knee here even though you have three timeouts and you're not going to do anything about it. And that's exactly what happened. They took three knees. They ended the game. Belichick was not interested in even giving his offense the ball again and seeing what they had. I think he could just read the room and see that the game was over. And uh, that's all there was to it. I mean, the Bills dominated. When I left the game, I, I was perfectly happy with what I saw. As I had said, Bills dominated the game overall. Uh, if you want to look at some team stats, they had 22 first downs to New England's 14. They were 9 of 5, excuse me, 9 of 15 on third down efficiency, where New England was 3 of 12. Um, they had 20 more total plays, 113 more yards, more yards per play, more passing yards, uh, better passing efficiency, more yards per pass. Um... They had 132 rushing yards to the Patriots' 60, so they even beat the Patriots at the one thing the Patriots should actually do better. Uh, Bills were 3 of 3 in the red zone. Patriots were 0 of 1. Uh, and then the penalties, about the same. Both had 6. Uh, Bills had the weird turnover, but time of possession. Almost 40 minutes 
38 minutes to 21.52. So they almost doubled them up in time of possession because they ran the ball in the second half and they didn't give the Patriots a chance. Um, like, had that fumble happened at the end of the first half and then the Patriots kick the field goal and it's 17-10 and then the Bills punt and the Patriots get anything out of their first drive of the second half and all of a sudden you have a 17-13 game, maybe a 17-17 game, that's, that's not what you want in that situation. So I think from what I wanted to see from, like, the Bills' game plan, they executed all the things that I wanted them to do. They took away the run. They put the pressure on Mac Jones to beat them. They established their own run early and took some of the pressure off of Allen to have to be a superstar, especially with the offensive line injuries. Love seeing that, too. I initially, because of all those injuries that were question marks, I had the Patriots covering the three and a half. I was like, oh man, it's going to be cold. The Bills are injured. They may have trouble stopping the run if they're missing Groot and Epinesa and Edmonds. So ultimately, I just kind of like hedged a little bit because I had to put out my predictions before the official active roster came out. Um, but I was confident the Bills were going to win. Uh, this wasn't a game that really worried me. Uh, I know there's a lot of people in Bills Mafia that are just like worried for the sake of being worried. But if there was ever a matchup that the Bills uh, do have control over, it's this one. You would have liked to probably see them score more in this game. Like I said, could have been 27-ish, 24-ish to uh, 7 at the half. But it wasn't the case. Um, what, what else is there to say? Bills dominated. I'm happy. They uh, head into the final stretch of their AFC East at home rematches coming up. They have uh, three division games at home to close out the season. Coming up next week is the rematch against the Jets with Mike White, now a quarterback. Uh, that's a game I think the Bills probably get back. Then they get Miami coming to Buffalo, and that's going to be the game because Miami's playing San Francisco this week, and San Francisco's defense is pesky. They're going to give Miami some issues, and it, the Bills could take the division lead if Miami loses this week, and then if they clean up that win, get it back against the Jets, they're in good position. They'll be They would be 10-3 and at that point. Miami would be a game back. Then if you beat Miami, you really own the tiebreaker and the division is essentially locked up at that point. Uh, and I don't know. They have a nice schedule aside from the Cincinnati game in week uh, 17, which may not be as big of a game as, uh, you know, you would have maybe anticipated because you would have seen like the AFC representative of the Super Bowl playing against the team that's projected to go to the Super Bowl. Cincinnati's a team that last year when everything was going down it's a game that I wanted to see the Bills play because I wanted to know how they matched up and I wanted to be sure that Cincinnati didn't just like leapfrog Buffalo and all of a sudden become basically the best team in the AFC after going into Arrowhead and being able to beat Kansas City in the playoffs where the Bills haven't been able to do that so the Cincinnati game is the one that I've kind of circled on the calendar is the game I've been looking forward to all season but got to clean up those division wins first they're playing that game on the road at Cincinnati later in the year but up next is the Jets that's all they gotta do 
Uh, oh, and side note, Devin Singletary took over as the leading rusher for the Bills. Uh, Josh Allen had that uh, for the whole season up until just this game where Singletary uh, eclipsed 600 yards. He's got four touchdowns now, and I think they've all come in the last month. So uh, Singletary looking good. Now, I'm incorrect. He had a receiving touchdown at some point, I think, in the first like six weeks of the season. Doesn't matter. Devin Singletary is running the ball well. Diggs has got 1,200 receiving yards. Allen's throwing for 3,400 yards and 25 touchdowns. As long as he cleans up the picks and, you know, he doesn't feel like he's got to play hero ball, Bills are in good position. So, until next time, as always, be well, stay safe, uh, enjoy cheering against all of the rooting interests this week for the Bills. So, you're going to be cheering for the Niners. Uh, you're going to be cheering for... Uh, who the hell are the Jets playing this week? You're going to be cheering for Minnesota to beat the Jets. Um, and I don't know who Kansas City's playing. I don't have time to look it up. I got to get out of here. But take care, everybody. Go Bills. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way too. This show is an extension of thescheist.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills.